This is Brian Bailey from Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm joined with Mark Sweeney from Windermere, Florida. We are your guides to this episode of In the Hunt. We are going to bring clarity to this complex game of golf and help you reach your next level of performance. So if you're ready to step up your game, join us on the hunt. All right. You ready? Yep. Uh, welcome to this episode of In the Hunt. We're going to go ahead and jump forward and look at the RBC down at Harbortown. Uh, but before we do that, um, we're going to go ahead and look at post uh event from colonial we'll, we'll actually take a dive in there see what happened and also we'll have to reflect on uh whose whose picks were better i'm not i don't really know right now who it is i'm a humble guy I, I, if humility you know i think everyone in this world should be just as as humble and, and have humility but you know on occasions you have to be a bragster and and uh, I'm not sure, I, I can't, I'm looking through all my paperwork over here. Mark, who was the pick that actually uh, won, won last week? I can't, I can't find that. What was no, that I, guy's I, name? I, I actually can't even remember. You're going to have to go back and check the recording on that. Well, I think he's kind of swelled <laughs> up. I think uh, Deshaun Bo uh, actually dude. won it for me. So uh, I yeah, think what swell. we're going to do... Um, I think what we're going to do, Mark, is uh, with my son, we play pig a lot in the yard. He, he loves basketball. And we do every Monday, we have a challenge. And, the, and the, we do a two out of three games. And the loser of the challenge gets to pick a T-shirt that the other one has to wear at, any cho- at, at the other player's choice. So the I loop. think what we'll do, we'll, we won't do DeChambeau, but from this point forward, each one will be able to go in and select a T-shirt. So the next podcast we'll have to actually wear the t-shirt selected by the other player. Oh, we'll have to uh, acquire the t-shirt in the meanwhile, I think. Yes, yes. Know, we should get a t-shirt off Amazon. Well, yeah, we'll have to Amazon and next day if we had to, but I think it'd be quite humorous. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Just, you know, and, and to be fair, all of our picks except one finished in the top 10, and that was Rory, right? Rory was right there, played over par in the last round, but everybody else we picked was top 10. Yeah. Um, which I thought was reasonable, right? As far as as far as picking, because we didn't know how people were going to come out of uh, semi-retirement to come back and play. What what impressed me was that most players came back pretty much the same as they left. Yep. I didn't see any dramatic changes. You know, people were there's there's a couple we can talk about that that came back a little bit different, but most of the guys came back playing their standard game, and that includes speed, that includes. Um, Rory, that includes JT. Now, uh, DeChambeau came back hitting it like 90 yards farther off the tee. Um, and so the big question there was, was he actually going to end up in position more often uh, because he was hitting it farther? Because the whole lot, point of hitting it farther is so you can get in position on the green more often. And the answer for last week was yes. He, uh, he was pretty darn hyped, didn't lead the field and in positions. Um, too bad he didn't putt very well. Otherwise, he, he should have won by a country mile, um, but didn't putt well enough. He putted kind of on a college level, you know, statistically, we consider college level putting. He putted just a nudge better than that. He w- would have won the tournament. Um, but that being said, also, he, 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 you know, there were two other guys, uh, JT and, and Justin Rose, hit it about just as, as well as uh, DeChambeau did. They had as many in positions. I think there were one fewer for the whole for the whole tournament than he was. So Rose, Rose, you know, had been slumping really badly with the, with the uh, equipment change. And he came back, obviously he's fixed that because came back hitting on all cylinders last week. So I was really pleased to see how well Justin played last week. Yeah, no, I thought, I thought for the uh, first weekend out, uh, PGA tour, was pretty happy. Um, a lot of big names in there. 
Um, an exciting finish. I hate to see you miss three footer, but again, it, it, it provided that in, in the, and right now with the big void in, in the sports world, I think uh, the PGA tour is really should be in a good position here over the next couple of months to kind of end the sports uh, landscape until supposedly basketball. And I don't know, baseball's a mess. I don't even know if baseball's coming baseball back. Baseball might not happen at all. I um, mean, I think, yeah, it's, it's a mess. So I think the, the beauty of it is the PGA tour has a, a, a really good window here. And uh, so now let's uh, we'll go ahead and switch over. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm winning one, nothing in our, and I'm going to run a tally sheet. I'm winning one, nothing going yeah, into week track two. Of that. The t-shirt sheet. <laughs> But again, I'm humble. I, I'm I'm completely humble here. But you know, on occasions, you just have to get, you just have to toot we'll your own horn. See how um, humble you are when I win this week. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I I have done so much research on this. I might I might win like the hat trick. I might get a. Well, I got. I'll get my wild card in there. I've got my I've got my pick this week. So we'll all see. right, very good. So uh, let's go ahead and jump in here and look at Harbor Town, um, down in Hilton Head. Uh, I believe traditionally one of the more difficult golf courses. Uh ranked um inside the pga tour and then we kind of did our our field analysis of what what it was last year kind of what it looked like compared to the top 10 and uh we'll go ahead and start diving in here so mark what do, what do you know about harbor town on difficulty and uh what what kind of insight can you start us off with well right off the bat you know it's a par 71 so there's one fewer par fives than normal but it does it does play short on the scorecard it's barely 7100 yards um but if we look at the ip percentage so that's how often do players hit it inside 20 feet on approaches? It's a really good measure of approach shot difficulty and, and overall, you know, difficulty off the tee and approaches. Uh, it ranked the seventh most difficult last year. Oh, sorry, the eighth most difficult last year, um, just above uh, just above Riviera. So it does play more difficult than, typ than a typical golf course out there um, on the PGA Tour, even though it's shorter, which just shows that strategic placement off the tee uh, seems to be more difficult. Um, and the greens, I think, are small there, uh, lots of trees, right? So it's just harder to get on the green and in position. I think the greens regulation for the course was also on the low side. Um, so it just means overall they're not hitting as many greens. When they're hitting greens, they're not hitting inside 20 feet uh, as often as, as other courses. And, and, and again, uh, offensive, defensive course, uh, overall scoring average, I believe, is just a hair above par. Um, uh, for the field. So again, we're looking a little more on the defensive side and then um, and then the kind of the top 10 is averaging about two, a little more than two under. So again, not not the typical PGA normal setup uh, seems to be playing a little bit more challenging uh, than what we would normally see. And, and going through the numbers, really, there's only roughly four holes that are really offensive minded. Um, the top 10 snuck out to five, but that would basically be the three par fives which is five, two, and 15. And then hole number nine seems to be the other, the other birdie hole that jumps out yeah, there. Is there anything that you for? Yeah. Any of those that you see, uh, any trends on that? No, I mean, I mean, that's it. I mean, other than it's really, you know, yeah, it's really four holes for the field that play under par um, six, just a nudge, but that's it. But everything else plays over par. Um, so, you know, other than the short holes, meaning par fives and number nine, uh, people are playing over par on that. You know, the the um, the top ten do a little better job. They're a little more below par on the par fives than than everybody else is. Um, but overall, it's definitely more of a defensive setup, I would say. 
Yeah, and I think the top 10 took hole six and actually made that into a birdie hole. So that was the one hole that the top 10 actually kind of yep. brought that up to about hole nine. So that, so to me, that's a hole that you need to kind of pay attention to. Um, if your players are starting to separate is how do they do on six? Um, and then also, I think on hole number two, um, the field did really well, averaged roughly 50% birdie rate. Um, but the, the top 10 actually did about 72 so they did a little bit better. So to me, those those would be your two birdie holes that you really want to kind of look for and make sure your player is doing what they need to be doing is hole number two and six. That's how they can really separate from what the rest of the scoring holes um, on the golf course. Yeah, the other thing that the top 10 did um, better than everybody else, particularly is they played 18, basically even par, whereas the rest of the field was about a quarter shot over par. So they played 18 better. They still didn't play it under par, but they played it pretty darn close to even par. So, so watch 18 coming in at definitely a hard hole, um, but the top 10 in the winter definitely do better job at 18. Yeah. And I, I, I've, I've had the good fortune to play Harbor town a couple of times. And every time I've played Harbor town, hole 18 is actually a par five. So uh, I can definitely see why, um, the best are averaging a par and the rest of the field is kind of struggling with that because uh, it is actually designed for uh, the common man to make a par five there. Um, defensive wise, there's a, the field had three holes that kind of stand out. And then uh, I would say the actual top 10 have, a, you know, basically overlap with one of those holes. But do you know anything uh, like, well, we just talked about hole 18. I know hole number three. Um, I believe there's a – no, that's just a long par four with a tough dog leg that you kind of got to get around. I think it's a really long, narrow one. And then I think eight, number eight is actually a par three with water. And when I watched it last year, I saw a lot of guys dumping it in the pond. Um, so uh, any insight on the uh, defensive holes or ones that your player needs to really try to avoid big numbers? <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the big one for um... – the hole that had the most doubles by a mile was 14. The, the par three at the pond in front of it just begs you to hit in the water there. And uh, they had, there was 29 doubles there last year, which is a lot um, on a single hole. So not a short par three, it's 192 yards. But what we do know about par threes, if you hit your tee shot in the water, you are making double. Um, saw some of some players I worked with last year did that and it just begs you, you know, they put the pin over on the right side and it just begs you to hit it over there close, brings water into play and then you're done. You made double. Um, so smart play there is kind of middle of the greenish, take your two putt and get out kind of similar to Augusta number 12, you know, don't chase that right side pin because uh, you're just begging to hit it in the water. If you chase that pin on the right side. Um, but there was a ton, a ton of doubles there. So you gotta be real careful, especially coming in on, on Sunday. So probably put that Sunday pin in that sucker location over there on the right. Yeah, and I, I noticed, too, that the uh, the top ten, the one hole that they seem to struggle with the most, um, outside of number three, kind of where the field did, was hole 17. And that, again, is another little par three. But I, I think 17 and 18 are really funny because that's where, if you've ever been in Harbortown, you're pretty well protected in the trees for most of the golf course. And then you kind of come swinging out on, onto the sound. Uh, kind of running out through the marshland. So 17, you tend to get some really, really crazy cross breezes. And then actually going into 18, a lot of times you're going into the wind. Uh, so that makes that that hole a little bit more challenging as well. So I think 17, just because of the makeup, it's a long slender green. It's got tons of bunkerage around it. And it, you start getting a little bit of cross breeze going. Uh, you know, you can definitely have some some 
creative uh, wind bending <laughs> shots that put them in some really goofy positions uh, and having to save par out of the bunker. And that, and again, that's the one thing that I, I think we've kind of noticed we talked about with this event is placement off the tee is really big, but that scrambling numbers is huge coming into this event. I think the field average roughly last year around a 63% scrambling average overall where the top 10 was up around 75. So where, where are we going to separate uh, – Basically, who am I looking at picking as people that need to be able to get up and down and can putt, can putt really well and hit it long enough, but in the right spots. So that's the ideal um, player that we're looking at. And then also uh, birdie conversion rates. What, where did you see a difference between the field average and the tour average? Uh, well, the, the field average is almost 10% better converting. So definitely putting better, you know, they're not in, they're, you know, the, the top 10 are always doing everything a little better. You know, they're, they're rarely just one single area that they beat them on They you know, they hit, they hit a few more greens, but not dramatically only, I think 3% more greens than the rest of the field, but they converted about 10% better. And their scrambling was about 10% better also. So you put those two together, you know, 10% better at par saves and 10% better at making birdie. And, and there's the difference. So I think you're right. I think it, it is very much an, a, uh, a putting and scrambling test uh, more so than, than a, a bombers and a, and a driving test, uh, you know, with the exception of putting it into good position off the tee box. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what it, what it kind of tells us too, with the lower IP number is, is the, the golf course is forcing tee shots to be in certain areas. And when we looked at approach yardages from the field versus the top 10, they were hitting roughly the same yardages in. There weren't these huge discrepancies yeah. of like so one again, yard think, different on average. So I think the golf course is dictating where you have to go. And then it, it's basically taking the entire field and kind of jumbling them up and who's doing what they need to do basically. Cause they're all coming in making roughly the same end positions. Uh, now it's becomes a putting contest and a scrambling contest. So I think this golf course really, really will be dictated by, who's got the hot putter and, you know, who can basically miss it in the right spots and make sure they walk away with par and not other scores. So uh, I think, I think this will be quite an interesting test. And then you do win the, I think one of the ugliest jackets um, yeah. <laughs> when, when you win Harbortown. And, and I, I can't remember a couple of years ago when somebody won and they were wearing red pants and it was oh, a different right red. Now. It was, it was a really bad ensemble, but, um, but again, number 18 is probably the most picturesque finishing hole with the, with the lighthouse, uh, the players coming in, if the winds whip in, it, it becomes quite interesting for sure. Um, so just, that's just kind of an overall, like I said, you know, so now we kind of have an idea of what the golf course looks like, what it feels like. Um, basically we know most people are hitting it relatively the same, the same approach yardages. Uh, where's the separation going to be really placement scramble and putting. So, uh, let's go ahead and take our, who do we think is going to win attitude here, Mark? I, you know, I am being humble. Heart, and the I attitude. <laughs> I won last time. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you honors again because it didn't work for oh, you yeah. last time. Are you so going oh, to let me go first? Because I'll let you go first. Uh, because Mr. Humility, That's uh, right. one last one. Um, well, are we, are we doing two picks? Yeah, yeah. Well, two picks and a sleeper. How's that? Oh, two picks and a sleeper. Okay, well, my two picks, I'm going to go one with um, Justin Rose. Ooh, nice. Because he, last week, he scrambled um, at 70%. Scrambling was really sharp, and putting was really, really sharp, right? So if you want somebody, you know, who's kind of got his, at least last week, he seems like he's reversed his trend from, uh, from his equipment issues back in the early part of the year. You know, all his numbers are really good there, especially short game and putting. 
Um, same situations with, I want to go back with Patrick Reed again. Um, he, you know, he started a fire and you could see there he was, uh, his scrambling was 75% for the week and his putting again, you know, these guys are making more than 40% of their, their 90, 20 foot putts. You know, that's, that's outrageously good. Um, they're just making putts at all different zones. So if we're looking at short game and putting, I really like those guys. Patrick didn't hit it quite as well as he normally does last week, but I think that'll come back. Um, you know, I think that's a, a down blip for him, but he's, he's a really good putter. Rose can be a really, really good putter and uh sleeper. Boy, I didn't think about a sleeper yet. You, you, you give me your picks and then I'll, I'll scan the sleeper pick. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to gun it. I'm going to go a little off base here because basically the two I'm picking didn't really, well, one didn't make the cut last week and the other one didn't even play in it. Um, so I'm going Kucher as my number one pick. I think I think Kucher finished second or third last year, but he is designed for this golf course. He scrambles well. He putts well. He doesn't hit it super long, but he usually hits it daggone straight, and he's good with the iron. So I think we call him the Boy Scout because he does everything really, really good. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think again this golf course is tailor uh, fit for uh, Kucher's game. So I'm gonna go Kuch. Uh <laughs> And then my second pick is I'm going to go – I want someone who's accurate off the tee and can hit some really good irons. Uh, I'm going to go Hovland. Ah, that's good. That's a good call. We did, we, did a, we did an analysis with him and showed actually how many fairways and relationship IPs he's through the roof. So, again, I think that combination with this golf course is really going to put him with lots – he might be able to squeak out an opportunity or more than the rest of the field. And I think uh, that, that might give him that leg up. And then I think my sleeper. Mark's going to love this one. So my sleeper was a guy that was actually in contention last year. It ran into a couple issues. I'm going to go Sam Burns. Nice. My sleeper. Nice. Um, he, he had he had the tournament almost in hand last year. He let it go. I know Mark helped him with some putting stuff. So I just wanted to steal that from Mark before he had a chance to think about Sam in the field. Well, he was, I, I thought about Sam because Sam was in contention to win last year and then hit in the water on 14. I remember uh, that. And that was the end of it. And, then, and I think he still finished second or third, but, but 14 killed him last year. But he, um, yeah, when he, when he putts well, he putted spectacular there last year. Um, it started doing aim point uh, earlier in the year. And, um, yeah, I like that one. So I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go sleeper Rory Sabatini. Oh. Uh, yeah, Is he still yeah. <laughs> Rory finished top. I think he finished like 13th last week, right? Did he? That's why he's a sleeper. So Rory started using Aimpoint last year, and his uh, IP conversions down at Colonial, which is putts make from 90 to 20 feet to average is 30%. He made 57% for the week, uh, scrambled at almost 70%. So um, puts in position enough, you know, not as much as the other guys were looking at, but that's what makes him a sleeper um, is if he can sneak in there, if he chips and putts really well, um, he doesn't have to be a bomber, I don't think. And so there you go. That's, that's, that's my sleeper. You know, I don't, I don't like these guys who to call sleepers like, you know, they pick a top 10 in the world and call it a sleeper pick. We got to get somebody who's properly a sleeper. That's right. I'm going to take Dustin Johnson as my sleeper pick. Yeah. <laughs> I see that sometimes. I'm like, come on. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I think that's, you know, uh, again, that's some good insight for what's coming up. Uh, any closing thoughts on Harbortown? Uh, not necessarily on, on Harbortown. Um, 
No, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. Again, we, you know, we haven't seen a bombers course happen yet. We've had two kind of short courses, more shot placement courses, and we haven't got to the you know seventy eight hundred yard course out there where you really see where the longer guys like Bryson, if they're if they're really going to uh, kick him on that. Um, but I do want to talk about one thing in the in the um, vein of not bragging. Um, in two thousand, I think it was two thousand two U.S. Open. Uh, that one, Lucas Glover won. Was that two thousand two? I think it was. I think it was. I picked Lucas Glover as my sleeper pick earlier in that week and can prove it because I actually wrote an article for the New York Times and he was my sleeper. And I and he w- ended up winning. And I actually did it purely on stats. I did it on on scrambling stats, fairways, and kind of trends. And he ended up winning. And he and he never wanted a major in his life. And he ended up winning. And I got all these emails afterwards about people who would bet big money on him based on my pick <laughs> and the good news is that he won and a lot of people made a lot of money now nobody sent me a dollar on that unfortunately but that that was my all-time best sleeper pick so, so wait, just wait you're bragging about a sleeper pick from 18 years ago yeah okay it, i'm just checking nobody on the planet picked him in no. any situation whatsoever no i think no that's pretty good especially if it was uh, actually in the new york times you know the, the the paper of record. Oh yeah, I can prove it. It was it was in writing. It was in, <laughs> it was writing. in writing on on Monday. Uh, it was in writing. There you go. Um, so we want to thank everybody for taking a, a quick listen to uh, uh, kind of our preview of Harbor Town. Um, we're gonna kick out some more um, podcasts here over the next week. Mark was uh, down, not feeling well earlier this week, and then we've just been pulled left and right on a bunch of stuff. So we've not been getting our podcast out. Of- as timely as we wanted to, but life's starting to settle down. We'll try to get a couple more of those out here in the coming weeks. We have some really cool stuff coming via Game Forge. Keep your ears and eyes open for that one. A lot of stuff that's going to be coming in. Um, so make sure you check that out. But thank you so much for joining us here at In the Hunt. And.